Hello, thanks for listening to A Theater in the Dark. A Theater in the Dark creates award-winning audio fiction and stories through sound. I'm producing artistic director for A Theater in the Dark, Corey Bradbury. I hope you'll create a dark and cozy space as you listen to our stories. Before we get to today's story, if you like what we do, I wanted to let you know how you can hear more of our work. First, to hear any of our audio plays unabridged and uninterrupted, you can head to our website, atheaterinthedark.com. Or, you can join our Patreon, and for a humble $3.25 a month, you gain access to our entire growing original library, including special behind-the-scenes Q&As and more. You can sign up at patreon.com slash atheaterinthedark. Now, on to our story. Evil eyes, spidey senses, animal instinct. Now, these are all terms we use to describe the goosebumps, the heebie-jeebies, that tickling on the back of your neck when you just know you're being watched. Now, in today's digital world, we may be used to being constantly monitored, but that feeling, that instinct when someone stares at you from across the room, it goes back to the earliest part of us. They say that every face you've ever dreamt is an actual face you've seen somewhere in the world. Somewhere in your brain is a repository of all the people you've passed on the street, sat next to on the train, or spotted while flipping through a magazine. At the same time, they say every time you remember a memory, you're only remembering the last time you remembered that memory. Now, does this water down our brain over time? Does this blur the line between reality and dreams? Now, most of us, we manage. But some of us struggle all the more terribly. Our ability as pattern recognizers, one of our greatest innate abilities as a species, means we're wired to immediately recognize the faces of others. But what happens when your brain starts making more than just the usual connections, and you start seeing people, items, sounds that no one else can? That's part of what makes our story today, The Rosary, so much spooky fun. It tells the story of how a young couple, Sarah and John, are haunted from ghosts of generations past in a literal kind of way. And at the same time, their search for meaning leads them to learn more about themselves and each other. Adapted by Theater in the Dark, co-founder Mac Gordon, featuring sound design by Ross Burlingame, and featuring Gordon as John and Claire Hasselgrave as Sarah, please enjoy Theater in the Dark's The Rosary. This is all true. I know it's hard to believe, and I can't tell you why or how it happened, but it did. That's all I know. Word for word, this is how it happened. Sarah? John. I'm sorry I'm late. It's fine. I got in this morning and ended up sleeping through my alarm. You're not that late. No time to shave, uh, iron my shirt. I understand. Okay. Um... Yeah, so, hi. Hi. There are some things you should understand about Sarah before the rest of it. For a period of time, my mother was institutionalized, and I went to live with my grandmother, Gloria. Her grandma died, and 
1994, I think. He was compassionate. I told him my life story on our third date. <laughs> you don't want to start off with that kind of thing, but you also want to make sure you're, you know, disclosing who you are early enough that you're not wasting anybody's time. We fell in love quick and moved in together. We got a dog, German Shepherd, named him Bud. John worked nights, driving a truck. This meant that on a lot of nights, Sarah was alone while I was miles, sometimes full states away. All of this started in late February. I woke up and the only light in the room came from the red dashes of the clock. It was three in the morning. It felt like someone was watching me. I didn't want to look out. It's that thing the um, where if you think you can't see it, then it can't see you. But I forced myself to look at the foot of the bed. And there was an old woman. She was stooped over and she was smiling. She was wearing a blue nightgown and she was looking at me. And she puts her hands up to her throat and starts making a sound. Then there's just kind of a blackout. And the next thing I remember, it was almost seven, and the sun was coming up, and I hadn't slept. Sarah was convinced this woman was her grandmother who'd been dead for years. The next morning over the phone, Sarah told her mom about it. She told me not to be an idiot. But when I asked her, she said my grandma was buried in blue with a ring on her finger. I mean, it was dark, but I saw it, I think. And I didn't know that before, about the ring and the bathrobe. My mom, well, she had a good reason to doubt me. Twice before, I tried to take my own life. Do you need details on that? Okay. I just told myself I was crazy, too. And John's a skeptical guy. That's, that's just the way he is. He made fun of me for, like... Reading horoscopes. He wouldn't even read the slip of paper in his fortune cookie. So we were watching TV one night. Go to Channel 4. I'm watching this. You've seen this one. What was that? You think it's your granny? Don't. I'm sure it was the dog. I let him out. Okay, yeah, he's in the yard. Go look in the bedroom. Okay. What was it? Just the house settling. Nothing there. Creaks. I didn't want to scare her worse. I was sure it was nothing, but... You know, there was this... Bad smell. So I opened a window. Turned the light on and closed the door. I sat back down and turned on the TV. And then there was this... Thudding. Like if someone was, I mean, not so much the sound of someone jumping as much as the sound of someone falling down. It shook the light fixture. I saw that. I called Buddy inside and tried to get him to go in the room with me, but 
He wouldn't do it. He started barking, staring at something in front of him and barking and barking. I told her to pack a bag and we would go to my aunt's. I wasn't going in that room. No way. So I went back in alone. I shouted at him. You know, you better go away. I'm coming in. But now, you know, I'm alone anyway in the living room. So I sprint to the car. I remember trying not to look white in the face. What happened was I threw the door to the bedroom open and the room was completely dark. But I had left that light on. I flicked the switch and nothing. The window was open still and it was cold in there, but I could smell this like rankness. Like a wet towel. So I I left that window open for sure. We went to his aunt's. Sarah doesn't know this part. I didn't tell her, but the next day we came back home and the light worked again. And the window was closed. But I left it open. There were no thumps or bumps that day or night, so we went to bed. My sleep was about what you'd expect. You feel like you're awake, but you're probably in and out. Your dreams are there on the surface. Then something ran its fingers through my hair. Believe me or not, it happened. I tried to wake up John, and I heard a voice. You're not going to believe me. The nape of the neck to the top of the head. Clear as day. Well, I mean, she did have a history. A history of mental illness. Personally, she had it, and through her family as well. I did wonder if she might be going crazy. I mean, I heard things too, the thumping. I could rationalize it, though. I talked her into not leaving unless I saw something, too. And at the time, I didn't think I had. For a week, nothing happened. She said that? Oh, something happened. Her posture changed. And uh, she sort of started to take on that smell. I don't want to talk bad about her, but this is just what happened, right? The dog would leave the room if she was there. Sometimes I got the feeling she was listening to someone else. But no one was there. And then March 6th happened. We were watching TV again. I got the feeling like I was being watched, so I look over and there's nothing. I get the feeling again and I look and... She's standing there. This old woman. So I jump up and I look over at Sarah. And she's having a seizure. And I look back over to the woman, but she's gone. And I mean, I had a lot of things to deal with. So maybe it was just my imagination or I don't know. She snapped out of it. And as gently as I could, I told her that we had to leave. She was very calm. Are you okay? Sarah, you're scaring me. Are you all right? And she grabbed the steering wheel so hard I had to pull us over. He said I was laughing and that I said some really, you know, out there stuff. I remember, I think, 
90% of what she said verbatim. I wrote it all down as soon as I could get some paper. I brought it. I'll read it to you. Your aunt's not home. She's in the church praying. We'll sit outside waiting on the bitch. She told me she knew everything. She said that she knew my aunt had dropped her rosary at church and that she'd be manic when she got there. He says I told him that I knew and he was gonna die. And I asked him, Do you want to know the day you die? Then boom. She snaps up straight in her seat and she says, She's back now. We'll go. She's back. Exactly that. I don't remember it. But I believe it. We got back to his aunt's and she was all pissed off because she left her rosary at church. Well, she actually left it on the train, so... But I took Sarah to go see a doctor. We told him everything. I didn't care if he thought we were nuts. But he recommended us to see an exorcist. I still deal with mental illness, but it's nothing like it was. It's not a matter of what I believe. It's just a matter of fact. I can give you my ex's number if you want to confirm it. The exorcist said that her relatives were probably demonized and possessed while they were alive too. And that possession can be passed through generations and, and that kind of stuff. That's what I remember. That's all I got. Is it enough? No, I never really prayed before. No one taught me. Okay, wow. I am here with Mac and Ross, the creators of The Rosary. Uh, why don't the two of you introduce yourselves? Sure. Um, I'm Mac Gordon. I wrote the piece and I played John. Uh, my name's Ross. I edited the piece and did sound design for it. This is such a fun, spooky, creepy, intimate, intense story. It's familiar to people who love horror and and uh ghost stories but at the same time it's very unsettling in its unfamiliarity it made me think of sort of like the 21st century response to the exorcist and playing with those wonderful images of catholicism and icons i'm so i'm curious why you created this piece in particular and why you created it for this format as an audio drama I have a couple of other drafts of it that are for different formats. So it actually exists as a scene that stands alone in a full-length play, which is all about possession. And it's all about the relationship between M. Scott Peck, who is a psychiatrist, a real-life psychiatrist, and Malachi Martin, who is a real-life Jesuit priest who 
served and worked as an exorcist for many, many years. Um, Malachi Martin is a very controversial figure. Some members of the church really kind of reject him and other people really embrace him, but he kind of is a master storyteller. So this piece that we hear here, the rosary, comes a little bit as a verbatim theater piece from one of his books of case histories of different possessions that he's come across in his life. And the full-length play incorporates the relationship between these two men. But what I went to from there, the full-length play, which received a couple of workshops but was never fully produced in, at this point anyway, um, was there was a 10-minute play festival in Vancouver called the Pole Festival, which I'd taken part in a number of times. And I needed to whip up something that was 10 minutes long for their submissions that were coming up. So I took a look through some of my old pieces that hadn't been produced, and I found this scene in there and thought, oh, that would be pretty cool to do a 10-minute horror story for this audience of rowdy 20-somethings, which was the Pole Festival's general demographic. So I kind of took it from there, adapted it a bit so that it could be a standalone piece with the beginning, a middle, and an end. I thought the form carried through rather seamlessly. You know, I um, I loaded in the design at first. There's a lot of footsteps in it now as, as it is, but um, there was just, I just built it out a lot. But what Mac was really clear about is that that intimacy should come in the form of the sound design as well. I, I'm using the word subtle, but there was, uh, there's other elements of it too. There's nuance. You know, that doesn't mean there's no design. Uh, it shouldn't sound like some outlandish uh, radio melodrama or anything, but we should be clear about the environments we're inhabiting. And that was my main goal, is to translate Max vision, an idea of what this might sound like, to a piece that's um, palatable for regular listeners' ears. <laughs> 